We are connected. Um, and I, a lot of folks have had politics, okay, I'll give this 60 seconds, affect their view of um, Israel as a nation and Palestine. And I want to just say this to you real quick. From a historical perspective, you and I might not be here today if it were not for Palestinian Christians. So we need to pray for Jesus believers in Palestine and not Israel only. Okay, so that's an important, there's a lot behind that statement. We'll just make that statement um, and move on. But I would just cause, let's all, uh, in praying for Iraq, um, Israel, but also the Christians in Palestine as well, they, they need our prayers. Um, so when we go to Scripture to kind of derive what is a church, what does that mean, what should we be doing, um, we kind of boiled that down into a really simple uh, phrase. Helping people connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share his love. We believe that everything about Jesus has something to tell us about God and about this life. Everything about Jesus. And so in going to these stories in Matthew chapter 9, we are doing this so that we can learn more about God. Right? And so we're calling this uh, series, Jesus for the People. Now, how many of you can think of some challenges that Baltimore City faces that we all have in common as urban residents, um, and maybe also some challenges that we face as individuals that Jesus has something to say about? Right? We've, We've just discussed a few of those challenges. How many of you think that If God were completely in control, if everyone in Baltimore City were following Jesus, that there might be a change in the trafficking of heroin, in murder, in poverty, in jobs, in good things that are being done. That'd be different, right? Right. Um, If we use one survey to balance another and and factor in how many people are lying, um, of the 2.8 million people in the metropolitan area of Baltimore City, about 12% are actual Jesus followers. Okay, so 12% of 2.8 million people. Now, what that leads us to by just deductive reasoning is that one, there's not enough opportunities for people to meet Jesus. And two, that even if just half of the people that live in Metro Baltimore, half of the 2.8 million, so 1.4 million people were following Jesus the way we see here, our city would be different. Right? And we're a church that is trying to take as many people to heaven with us as possible. Right? It's a part of our hearts, part of our motivation. Why? Because it's Jesus' heart and it's Jesus' motivation. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the scripture. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your son Jesus and through the scripture. Help us to learn today, to be encouraged today, and to walk away with something practical that we can do today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1. And this, uh, the picture here I forgot to mention is Lake Galilee um, today. So you can kind of get your imagination station activated. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? 
Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. This is Matthew talking about himself. Sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let's pick it up in verse 18. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 issues with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were open and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. When they left, the demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. I love Jesus. (laughs) I love Jesus for a variety of reasons. In these grouping of stories, we have a few issues that are common that we can pull away. One, we have this issue of faith, right? Jesus is continually interacting with people about their faith and belief. Jesus wasn't uh, a circus or a sideshow, He wasn't doing miracles just for the sake of doing miracles. He was interacting with them. He was talking with them. And it's easy for us to miss some groundwork that's laid earlier on in the story of each, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that is that there was a point 
when Jesus went public and he started to teach this very simple message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. And in every story, in every place, in every interaction, Jesus is continuing to preach this message. In fact, it is this message, this calling people to repentance, that is one of the main reasons he is then executed. Because it's not a popular message. Because Jesus is declaring, you are inadequate. You are unable to change your own standing with God. Does that make sense? You're unable to do so. So let's say that I am a thief like Matthew. And I have stolen money from Daniel. Now, Justin and I might be having a conversation on Friday night. And Justin might ask me, How did it, how's it going with Daniel? Oh, it's good. We're good. I apologize. I paid him back. We're good. Does my saying that change what has actually happened between Daniel and I? Does it change my standing with Daniel? No. And if we're going to use an example of us and our relationship with God and the way our mistakes and really the mistakes of Adam and Eve put me in a place of sin and being separated from God, I cannot forgive myself and change my standing with God. Are you with me? Now, we read a lot, hear a lot about forgiving yourself. Well, eh, let's save that for another day. I can talk all I want about, oh, I'm good, I'm good. Or I'm not that bad. I'm not a murderer. I'm not this. I'm not that. I don't have any teardrops tattooed on my eye, right? I'm not this. I'm not that. I can say it all I want, but it doesn't change my standing before God. Who changes my standing before God? Jesus, the only one who came and lived a blameless life, the only son of the living God and fully human Messiah, the sent one who can change. I now have good news announced to me of what God has already done. And so here Jesus is, and we can't remove the the context of what he's saying from it, right? We can't separate. Jesus is saying, repent. And he's interacting with their faith. He's saying, do you believe that I'm capable? And and what do we have in this faith? We also have forgiveness and healing, right? What does Jesus say first to the paralyzed man? You are forgiven. And his ability to forgive is called into question. And this should be important to you and to me. Because if Jesus is not able to forgive the sins of this paralyzed man, how is he available, able to forgive your sin? This is a very relevant question. But he is. And he says, I'll prove it to you. What's harder, to forgive sin or to heal? Well, of course, to them, paralyzed man has not been able to walk or get up, is incapable of getting up himself. To them, that is more difficult. And what does Jesus do? He heals him. Now, wrapped into these amazing stories of healing, we have him calling Matthew to follow. Right? To follow. But let's pay attention within the healing stories and the following stories of whom he is speaking to. He's speaking to people that are far from God. Have you ever felt that you are far from God? Have you ever talked to somebody else who feels like they are far from God? 
right? Now, in the Old Testament times, for different sins and different feasts and celebrations and the way that God had orchestrated things, you needed at some point to get to the synagogue or their church and you needed to get into the temple at certain times of the year. A person who is paralyzed, who is incapable of walking, is not a person at that top level of society, is not a person who is able to get themselves into the place of being, oh, okay, I'm good now. And who else do we have in these stories? We have the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years of bleeding. In other places, we see she exhausted her financial resources with doctors, trying everything that she could do. Doctors were incapable of fixing this problem of her bleeding. And this problem of her bleeding, according to Jewish law, would make her an outcast. She would not be able to sit on the same bed as her husband. She would not be able to earn money. She wouldn't be able to go into the marketplace and sell things. She definitely couldn't go into the synagogue or into the temple. She was an outcast. She was, by coming into the crowd, by inserting him herself and touching the hem of Jesus' garment, she was a lawbreaker, an outcast, someone far from God. This church is here for people that are far from God. We are not here to attract churchgoers. I want them to stay in their churches, go to their churches. We are here for people that are far from God and know it. Right? She's a lawbreaker. She's an outcast. Or the blind men. The blind men were were such that were put down on. Right? They're always having to ask somebody else for help. They were outcasts. They were similarly would have had a hard time getting to a synagogue, getting to a temple. Similarly would have had a hard time earning a living. They were not the, the good citizens. Due to any fault of their own? No. No. Do we have people laid off? Do we have people with accidents or medical conditions that are incapable of earning a living at the level that you and I are capable of? Yes. Do we have people in Baltimore with similar uh, challenges that feel that they are far from God? Yes. And what do we also have in this story? As Jesus is interacting with these different folks in regards to their faith, in this story what we also have is a demon-possessed person. Does that happen today? Yes. In this story with this demon-possessed person, Jesus, you notice in this occasion, He doesn't ask Him a question. He doesn't ask for the name of the Spirit. He doesn't ask if the person wants to be delivered. He doesn't ask if the person wants to be or believes or has faith. Sometimes God just shows up. That's the kind of God that we serve. He didn't put each person to the same test. Sometimes healing and miracles come, like it or not. Believe it or not. Right? We can't judge. We can't judge what's going on in the heart. Now let's, let's zero in on Matthew. Who's Matthew? Matthew is Matthew's a publican. Not a republican, a publican. <laughs> Our theme today, we follow Jesus together by faith. Although I think in Baltimore it would probably be better to be a publican than a republican. It's just a little humor there. So... Who's a publican? Okay, publicans are tax collectors. And here's what, we've got to understand what's going on. This is in the region of Galilee, so we're mostly small towns, farmers and fishermen. Okay, but are the Hebrew people in control? No. Who's in control? The Hebrew people conquered the whole region, 
right? They kicked everybody else out in the promised land. Remember all that stuff? And then what happens? They're booted out. Then they're brought back. And they're in this crazy state in between. But who's in control right now? Rome. If you read your world history, we have the the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. They did very significant things. What's Rome known for? They built roads. They built aqueducts. They built roads. But one of the main things that they did from region to region where there'd be different small militaries and forces here, there, and wherever where you couldn't securely travel from one city to another, Rome came through with their army. They built a whole lot of roads and they secured the roads and they made it possible in particular if you were a Roman citizen for you to safely travel from point A to point B. Now, how many of you know that civilization costs money? You drive on Baltimore streets, you don't know who paid what for that. Because we have the streets of a war zone. But, uh, but that, that issue aside, civilization costs money, right? So the Rome would collect taxes. Now, Romans really thought of themselves as above, more civilized, cleaner, more intelligent than the Hebrews. They looked down as hicks, people that were not very smart, and that were dirty. That's the way Rome viewed the Jews, Okay? So what Rome would do is Rome would sell franchises for a zip code or a region to collect taxes. And if you wanted to buy the franchise, you would pay Rome some money, and in exchange for that, you could charge whatever tax rate you wanted to charge. And they would, they would tax everything, income, property, especially anything that traveled by roads. Okay? They, would, they, were, um, they were big franchise owners and they were small ones. And long story short, from Scripture, Zacchaeus would have been a larger one, Matthew a smaller one. Now, we don't know if he was a franchise owner or if he worked for one. But what the franchise owners would do is that they would hire thugs to go beat people up, to inflict violence on people to make sure that they got paid. And it might be, Rome might say, okay, if you're going to transport 100 pigs... Okay, bad example. A hundred sheep. I didn't do that on purpose. Jews, you know, they're not probably selling pigs. Okay, so if they're going to raise a hundred sheep and transport them from one town in Galilee to another town in Galilee, and they're going to sell those sheep for 1,500 whatevers, right? Rome might say the tax on that is 120, right? And so the franchise owner, the tax collector, has got to make sure that Rome gets the 120, but he can charge you whatever he wants. Now, it was Jews, Jew on Jew. This is Jew on Jew crime, okay? Right? So what they would do is they would choose to betray the people of their own ethnicity and go work for Rome and be a crook, right? And they, they, could, they could live high. This is an indoor job, people. Sort of. But compared to farming and fishing, this is like you're not getting too many calluses on your hands. You just hire Jim and Joe to go beat up those guys, and, they get, and then you get your money. This is how you get paid. Now, what happened as a result? Hebrew literature. We have the Torah, which is the God-inspired literature, and the Talmud, which is what... People wrote that's separate from that that Jews still follow to this day. In the Talmud, it said that it was righteous for them to lie, cheat, and steal a tax collector because it's what they deserved. They gave their own people, religious leaders, permission to cheat and to lie on their taxes. I'm not giving you that permission with the IRS. Okay? Because that's how much they looked down on them. Additionally, a tax collector who was a Jew by birth was not allowed to be 
in a synagogue, in any local church, nor were they allowed to come any further in the temple courts than the Gentile court. So they were looked down on. And so tax collectors would really need to party only in their own house. If they went to the local pub, they'd get beat up. So what would happen is, here we have a law-abiding citizen in Rome's eyes, whose only friends were literally prostitutes and other criminals and the thugs they would hire. So let's just back up. Matthew's name is Levi. Matthew is Jewish. And what's interesting to me is that we have evidence that all this time Matthew was seeking God. Do you know why? When he comes to God, he comes with understanding of God from the Old Testament. Matthew's gospel quotes the Old Testament 99 times. In Matthew, compared to Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than all the other three combined. No one else puts out a revelation of who the Messiah, who Jesus really was through the Old Testament more than Matthew. And yet, Matthew had less access to the education and the training to learn the Old Testament in his own language than the other three. He had less access. He had less ability to learn on his own. So here's Matthew. Now imagine this. You're a law-abiding citizen, but your only friends are prostitutes and other criminals. That's the only people you're hanging out with. You made a choice. You made a decision. Maybe you made the decision when you were young, right? And you've been doing this 10 years, and you're tired of being a reject. You're tired of needing to have a thug with you so you can walk to the market, buy some groceries, and get home without getting beat up. Let's, 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 come on, let's think about the reality. Get your imagination station working. Now, Matthew's got to know, because Matthew's at least a little franchise owner or a small fish in the pond. He's sitting there. He's the most despised of the bunch because he's the face they see when they come to pay. Right? A thug might come in the night, beat you up. You're not really sure who it is. The bigger franchise owner might be paying the thug. You never see him. Who do you see? The one you're putting, giving the money to. And that's who Matthew was. Matthew was one of the least despised people in the whole area. Most. Thank you. One of the most despised. He was the face that they could see. Right? He knows that as soon as he gets up from his table and leaves his office, he'll be replaced. He's heard about this Jesus, the stories. He obviously is literate to the Old Testament and the Messiah prophecies. The most recent one, 400 years before. When is the last time you read something written more than 400 years ago? You should try it. There's some good stuff. The last prophecy, 400 years before. And he's aware, he's alert. Who is this? Because he knows that this Messiah means an end to the current system and an opportunity for a fresh start, for forgiveness, for access to the Almighty God. He's heard the stories. He sees Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew makes an immediately irreversible decision. He's no How's he going to make money? He doesn't know how to fish or farm. He doesn't know how he's going to... And do you think that his mind was on his money and his money was on his mind? If there was anyone in the group, right, that should have money problems, is Matthew. And what does he do? He makes an immediate, career-changing, irreversible decision. Why? 
What's going on in his heart? He's desperate. He's an outcast. Who is Jesus reaching out to? The desperate. The outcast. Who has Jesus put into your life? Who are you bringing? Do you know that the gift of hospitality in the New Testament is not talking about bringing other Christians into your home? It's talking about bringing non-believers. That's the literal translation of that word. If you have the gift of hospitality, it means you have unbelievers in your home. Like Brittany, like Ron and Lisa every week, right? Who's God put in your life? We have no more diversity in the church than is in your life. You have relationships with people of different economic and ethnic and educational backgrounds. But Jesus says, Jesus doesn't say, I'll heal you. Jesus doesn't say, I'll give you a new job. I'll give you a new reputation. I'll change your name. Jesus doesn't say things that he said to other people. He doesn't say, I'll pay your bills. He doesn't say, I'll heal you. He doesn't even say, I'll forgive you. What does he say? Follow me. Follow me. What does that mean? I'm so glad you asked. Let's talk about that. Okay, Femi, follow me. I'm going somewhere. No, really, I am. I'm going somewhere. What's Femi doing? What's he doing? He's following me. What, what do you have to do to follow a person? Move. What else? Get up. Agree. You're going the same direction. What's that? Fix your eyes on the person. Your eyes. Your focus. Right? Where, 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 where is he looking? At me. Right? He's got my back. Right? If you're following... See, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus makes it really simple. You should be able to, at any moment, at any day, to be able to know if you're following Jesus. At any moment, I can stop. I can look in the mirror. I can check my heart. And I can say, am I following Jesus? You see, Rebecca and I have talked with and been with and helped a lot of people that have shipwrecked their lives. Rebecca and I have worked with a lot of people that have shipwrecked their lives. But I I need to tell you something right now. I have not yet worked with someone who shipwrecked their lives who was doing this completely. Right? Good job, Femi. Thank you. (laughs) There is something that, and it shouldn't be, this should not produce guilt. This should not produce judgment or condemnation. No, what did Paul write? Right at the beginning of Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for who those who are in jesus if in your heart there is a humility there is a um, decision that you will follow jesus though none go with me still i will follow the cross before me the world behind me if in you there is a simple yes then there's no condemnation about, I did that wrong, I did this wrong, I said this wrong. There's no condemnation. He doesn't want us living like that. Focused on the, don't do this, don't do that. Remember the white polar bear? 
right? That's not how... God didn't send His Son and give His best so that our life would be like that. Religious and superstitious. No! God gave His best so that our life would be life and that to the full, Jesus said. Joy, excitement. I've got something to focus on. I've got something to follow that is better than anything I could have done by myself. You, you, don't, you don't know what true living is like until you have discovered something that's worth dying for. Until you discover a life that's so exciting, that's so vibrant, that is a purpose, that is a better you, that is a better world around you. You don't know true living until you come to a place of, that's where I want to go. That's who I want to follow. And then the natural byproduct of that is that you are changed. The natural byproduct of that is that you carry the presence of the living God. Because like John wrote Jesus' words in John 15, Jesus saying, abide in me, remain in me, be constantly aware of me. I'm trying a new thing myself right now. I'm trying a new thing I've never done before, and that is that three times a day, I'm trying to pause and turn everything off, get by myself, and be quiet And not pray, but just have a silent moment where I'm focused on God. I haven't done that well this week. I missed a bunch of times, to be honest. Because it's a different rhythm thing, and I get really like, you know, focused and working. And But so I'm trying three times a day just... And focus everything inside me on God. To be still and know that He is God. And it's amazing how quick my spirit returns to that, yes, I'm following you, and how more effective, more efficient I can be with the next two hours because I took that minute. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. So, each of us know if we're in that state of following God, right? How do we do it? Well, we're going to talk about this more next week because I'm out of time. We follow together by faith. When you try to do this in solitary confinement, it's a punishment. Should I say that again? That was really good. (laughs) When you try to do this in solitary confinement, it's a punishment. We follow Jesus together by faith. Together. Together. When Jesus called Matthew to this new life, this good news of his guilt being removed, he said, follow me. But don't you know that right away, within 10 yards of walking, Matthew noticed he wasn't the only one following. Did you catch that? Because what does he say when he talks about the party, which is like a whole other sermon? Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples. Jesus doesn't call us to follow him alone. We follow Jesus together by faith. Why? Because we've got a new start. Right? Now, let me just read these and we'll close in prayer. Oh, did I go? 
Oh, I won't use this next week, so I'll use it right now. Some of you remember the movie based on the true story, uh, Catch Me If You Can. Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio. I know this makes me old for some of you. True story of Frank Abagnale, who was the most successful con artist in our history at that time, who pretended successfully to be a doctor, an airline pilot. He flew planes and cashed checks. And he was the most successful check fraud artist, later worked for the FBI. And one of the reasons that check fraud is nearly impossible now is actually because of his work that he helped the FBI in ratcheting down and, and any, any sort of security and how your check is printed now and make it harder to reproduce is actually from Frank. There are people in all of our lives that are con artists, that are fakes. And all of us at some point have been faking it at some point in our life, right? You know that a one-time murderer who murdered in the heat of passion was not looked down on as much as Matthew because he made a choice every day to cheat his own people. Who did God come for? Sinners. And not just the nice ones. This guy got off easy because he got to work for the FBI after he did some jail time. Matthew lived with that life the, the whole time. We follow Jesus together by faith. I want to make sure we don't miss out on this principle. The gospel is not about something we do, but about what has been done for us. You don't do it. It's been done for you. And yet the gospel results in a whole new way of life. Martin Luther was known to say this, We are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that remains alone. Jesus called us to follow. We follow together by faith. I think we all can take something simple away from this that we can do today, today, to follow Jesus and to get a hold of somebody else in this room and to follow Jesus with them, to share life together. Coming to church does not equal following Jesus with someone else. It helps. It's really a booster shot, though. It's not the actual action. What you do outside of this 90 minutes every week is the action, right? Let's, let's close in prayer. Next week, we'll talk more specifically about how we do this. God, I thank you so very much for the way that you have provided us access through Jesus. Lord, give us faith and encouragement. Increase our faith, I ask, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, help us to follow you to moment by moment, to not fall prey to condemnation and feeling bad and getting down on ourselves, but to very quickly receive your forgiveness and turn around and follow you. I thank you that you gave us your best. Lord, we make a fresh commitment today that we're going to love you with all that we've got and love the people that you've put in our lives. I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name.